You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you, even though it looks slightly different than we've been used to recently. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I am our campus pastor at our town center campus, and I'm going to continue us this morning on the series we've been walking through across all the campuses. I'd also like to welcome uh, you, for many of you, to our World Cup game post-show. It's good to have you. Um, And some of you, if the game's still going on right now, if it's a shootout or something, and you're doing screen on screen, this better be the larger screen. That's all I'm saying. Um, but we're going to continue in our, in our series. So if you can grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through to verse 25. And if you have a Bible, open it. If you have your, your, your phone or your iPad, open it up, or we will, we will have it on the screen for you. But this is the word of God to us this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, what, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God of grace, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through this text, which we are divided from by by two uh, millennium, but we are divided by culture and language. And I pray you would open our hearts and minds to what you would want to say to us through this story this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The the theme we've had going through this series is do not be afraid. It's the ongoing message of all the angels who would visit the different characters of the Christmas narrative. Luke 1.13, the angel says to Zechariah, soon to be father of John the Baptist, do not be afraid. Luke chapter 1 verse 30, when Mary is approached by the angel Gabriel to let her know that she was about to be the mother of the living God, do not be afraid. Luke 2.10, while the the shepherds are, are hearing from the angels, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And in today's story, we hear the same thing, do not be afraid. This is the message of Advent. Why? Do not be afraid because God is at work even in the darkness. Even in the darkness that Israel was walking through, Zechariah was walking through, Mary is walking through, the shepherds, and Joseph's difficult, critical moment as well. This is the message of Advent, the arrival, the coming of Jesus. Advent always speaks to a larger story in the midst of whatever chaos we might have even today. It speaks to our expectations. It speaks a language of comfort, even in the names of Jesus that we'll look at this morning. We can learn a few things 
from, from this narrative of what it means to walk through Advent as we, as we look at what surrounds uh, Joseph and even the way that he responds. We learn a bit about how to walk through first kind of the chaos of, of Advent, which many of us are probably feeling these days. Joseph's story is a story of, of putting pieces together bit by bit he, and trusting God even in the midst of, of uncertain circumstance, even where he feels uncertainty and feeling uh, betrayed. But we notice through this that in the midst of this, Joseph has a quiet humility. There's, it's very interesting. Have you ever noticed that Joseph never speaks a word in the story? There are no recorded words of Joseph. We simply see him listening and him acting acting on what he's heard, acting on his situation. And his actions are, are more powerful when we actually realize maybe the cultural implications of what's going on in this text. There's, there's a few things we need to understand when reading a story like this. We're separated by 2,000 years. We're separated by culture, by language. And I, I think there are, there are important things for us to understand, this, this predicament that Joseph finds himself in. It says in verse 18, they were pledged to be married. Some of your Bibles might say uh, they were betrothed or they were engaged. But verse 19 calls him Mary's faithful husband. Well, that might seem strange to us. In first century Palestine, sorry to tell you, romance played very little role in, in who you might marry. There were a few stages. First, the two fathers of two families would get together, and if they believed that two children would be a great match in the future, maybe they looked at the family and they thought, that's a family I could handle during Christmas and maybe Easter, so maybe we should get these two families together. Then they would get together, say, oh, I like this family, they, they follow the law, um, they're, they, maybe they're wealthy, let's get our kids, let's make an engagement for our kids in the future. So the, the parents would engage the children. So finding that person who completes you really didn't play a role. There were no right swipes in first century Palestine. And good news, you get to skip all that uncomfortable, weird dating stuff because your parents took care of it before you even started thinking about it. That's why my wife and I, Lelania, we decided when my son was one year old that we would already take care of that so it would not be an issue for him or an issue for us. Now, Truth be told, we, there's some serious conversations we have to have with him. He's 19 now. And we should probably tell his girlfriend as well. But anyway, that's a side story. But that's how it happened. Parents would engage the children. The second kind of stage, years after the engagement was agreed upon by the parents, the two would be betrothed, probably, well, teenagers. And that was the closest to being married you got without actually being married. And that, the betrothal time was usually about a year. Now, if during the engagement there was a decision uh, by the man or the woman that they just weren't that into the other, they could call it off. No, no big deal. But once they were betrothed, it was considered uh, as, as serious as being married. And so it would call for a legal divorce if they were not going to follow through. Now, think about that. Think about that for us in our culture now, in our, in our kind of anything-goes culture, what kind of scandal this would feel like for Joseph and trying to make the right decision? Well, imagine then going back to the anything-does-not-go, abide-by-God's-rules culture. What should Joseph do? Imagine walking in his shoes. He's probably confused. He's probably angry, probably feels humiliated. It, it's a scandal. And you know, if we read verses 18 and 19 and remove the four words that give all of us clarity when we read it, it gives you and I perspective and gives an idea of what Joseph might have been feeling and the surrounding community, might have, how they might have looked at the situation. 
In Matthew 18 and 19, if we take out by the Holy Spirit, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus came. Uh, The birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. I mean, that's all the information Joseph has so far. But he has this silent desire to, to honor both God's law and also protect Mary. Even as he assumes that she has been unfaithful, he must have, have a humility and a perspective that, that comes from a larger story that's speaking into his life, that's speaking more into his life than just what he sees and what he's experiencing in front of him. You wonder what parts of scripture might have been going through Joseph's mind in order to calm himself and, and get himself in, in, in God's larger narrative. You'd think maybe Micah 6, 8, as he's balancing between God's law and justice and showing mercy. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I wonder if Joseph maybe had Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in his mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Joseph wants to be law-abiding, but he also wants to be merciful. He's a moral man who stands for righteousness, but he is also merciful, which today seems to be a rare combination. Maybe we can learn from Joseph in this. And we see not only a humility and a a trust in Joseph in a larger story, but also, and and not unrelated, we see uh, an expectant heart for this larger story. As the angel unpacks this story, it, it rings true to him. There's this expectation of this advent that comes, this arrival, this this coming of the Messiah. It doesn't seem Joseph was convinced at first that God was at work. Before this angelic visit, but when the angel speaks to him, the words find an expectant heart. And I can't can't imagine how many times Mary would have practiced this conversation she was going to have with with Joseph to try to explain to him what's going on. I don't know how many times she stood in front of the mirror and practiced it, wrote it out a few times. On the way to Joseph's house to explain this, she had just returned from visiting her cousin Elizabeth and news had maybe gone out about this miraculous um, pregnancy of of Elizabeth in her old age, which is maybe a good starting point for, for Mary when she comes in. Hey, Joseph, it's so cool about Elizabeth, isn't it? Yeah, that is miraculous. Yes, miraculous, Joseph. I want you to remember that. Isn't that amazing? And did you hear that Zechariah didn't believe that it was miraculous at first? And so God struck him and he couldn't speak? Would you remember that? <clears throat> I got something I have to tell you. May have gone something like that. And, and for Joseph, maybe still trying to decide how to live as a righteous man, but also show mercy and live in humility, having, maybe having a hard time falling asleep, he has this angel show up and give him a visit. And in verse 20, he calls him Joseph, son of David. We're so used to hearing that phrase, son of David, but we usually hear it referring to, to Jesus. That's, that's not language that's just thrown out. To call him son of David, the angel was preparing Joseph's heart for something big. Joseph's dad, we learn in verse 16, was a guy named Jacob. So to call Joseph son of David was to immediately connect him to God's larger story. The very phrase son of David was to call attention that God was about 
to do something. He was on the move. The son of David was code for Messiah, the anointed, the expected one, the promised savior of Israel and of all nations. A Messiah that would be a son of or a descendant of the great King David. One prophet, Jeremiah, speaking 7th century BC, he declares this in Jeremiah 23, 5. He says, speaking the words of God, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. He's speaking of a, a family tree uh, of, of God's, um, God's great narrative showing up through this family tree coming from King David. Jeremiah thirty three fifteen says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. Words, these words and words like it from the prophets, this was the ongoing hope of Israel. It was a story that they would visit over and over in reading the scriptures and meditating on these promises and hoping for these promises. It would be part of their discussions, be what they prayed for. So Joseph, the angel is saying, as, as a hint of what's coming, just a reminder, you are a descendant of King David. That would have made Joseph's ears perk up. But also, the angel says, what is going on with Mary is from the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the moving of God, the powerful moving Spirit of the Almighty. Whenever Jews heard about God's Spirit doing something, it meant God's story was about to turn the page, that another great chapter was about to be written. It's as if when, when, when God's Spirit is active, it's like God is turning the great cosmic page in his redemptive story. In those few words, Joseph's entire perspective would have flipped. He would have understood that he's into something much larger together with Mary. He sees himself on the cusp of God about to, to move in, in such a powerful way on all those ancient promises. So Joseph, go ahead, marry, Mary, Mary, Mary. Marry, Mary, and be Mary. Because yes, Mary has been chosen, but so have you to be the adoptive father of the son of the living and active God in human flesh. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, but Advent is here, and with it the joy of man's desiring. And so in this story, we also see, we see, we see comfort, we see uh, Joseph's faithfulness even in chaos because he sees himself in a larger story. We see this expectation and an understanding that God is on the move. But then we see these, these names that are proclaimed about this Messiah this continuing on of, of the branch of David. And they, these words speak comfort as well. And they ought to speak comfort to you and I. And this is where we're going to land this morning. The names of Jesus are significant. And they meant something. They meant something to Joseph. They meant something to Mary. And they ought to mean something to us as well. They are a proclamation that the wait is over. That you are seen and known and loved by your creator. The action of naming Jesus is very important. And again, this is a bit of a cultural thing. Two cultural points are are important here. First, in the Jewish culture of first century Palestine, the father had the sole right to name his child. That was nobody else's right but the father's. The right to name always had significance. It showed who you belonged to and who you answered to. Secondly, the name that was that that was given was meant to tell you something about the child and the child's future. 
It was meant to tell you that God was going to do a work through this person. It's meant to teach you something about the character of God. You'll notice the angel doesn't go up to Joseph and, and, and says, hey, what do you think we should name the child? He doesn't, he doesn't go to Joseph with Dr. Spock's book of Bible names and goes, hey, Joe, what do you think of the name Dylan? That's not how it works. See, the reason God does not let Joseph and Mary name his child is because they are not meant to think they have ultimate authority over him. There's something much bigger going on. Often today, we might name our children after someone or something that we like. It's more kind of coming out of us than us imposing ourselves on the child. So we might name it after a hobby or something that we're into. If you're a gardener, you might name your child Iris or Rose. If you're a musician, you might name your child Hendrix or Reed. Okay, it's not as good. If you like cars, you might name your child Cooper or Lincoln. And if you like Shakespeare and cars, you might name your daughter Portia. Shakespeare crowd, all right. The chances of having a Shakespeare crowd in the house was so slim. But in those cases, we're not really thinking that the name imposes a destiny or a challenge to the child. See, biblical names worked in the opposite direction. They were given names toward which they would become or aim their lives towards or, or what God had called them toward. It was teaching about the God that they served. You shall call his name Jesus, it says in verse 21. Why? Because that is his life's work. Jesus means to, to bring salvation, <laughs> to, to, to be a savior. Jesus, the name Jesus is a, is a Hellenized or a, a Greekized form of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua, the great Israelite leader who, who delivered the people of Israel into the promised land. That was Jesus Identity. He was a savior, but on such a larger scale. It defined Jesus' actions all the way to the cross and beyond. He is a savior. So in places like Mark chapter 1, verses 35 and 39, where, where Jesus' disciples come to him because he's off in a quiet place to pray, and they say, Jesus, there's people gathering. We need to go to them. He says, no, I have to go from village to village and preach because that is why I came. Throughout his ministry, as he's getting in more and more friction with, with the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and his disciples are saying, don't go to Jerusalem. In Luke 9, 51, knowing his purpose, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus always knew what he was about. Jesus had a strong sense of his identity, regardless of some of the movies that have been created. He knew who he was because he knew who had named him. Today, we have a culture that is, is stuck on the question, who am I? And we live in anxiety over that question. It occupies our lives. It's at the root of so much public friction. Who am I? What does it mean to be authentic? Well, I'll tell you, if we want to know who we are, we need to stop asking, who am I, and start asking, whose am I? Who do I belong to? That will answer the question, who am I? See, because we'll run after so many other things. If you decide you're going to name yourself through your work, get yourself a name that way, what actually happens is your work names you. And it rules you because whoever names you has authority over you. If you try to name yourself through relationships, what really happens is relationships name you and therefore they rule over you because whatever names you has authority over you. Whatever you use to name yourself, to make a name for yourself, to, to find an identity, it becomes the authority over you. 
So if you and I want to know who we are, we, stop, we need to start asking ourselves, whose am I? Who do I belong to? And the invitation of Advent is to, to step out of the darkness and the burden of self-promotion and self-creation and step into the beautiful acceptance of Advent. In John chapter 1, speaking of the advent of, of Jesus, it says in John 1:12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John, John loves this theme. He, he loves the, this, this new belonging that Advent brought us, that the advent of Christ brought us. Later on, he writes in, in one of his letters in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The Apostle Paul writes that because of the advent of God, because of the, the coming of Jesus in Ephesians 2.13, those of us who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been given belonging. We've been given a name. Ephesians 2.19, consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So who are you? Whose are you? When you receive him as Savior, when you recognize Jesus, the name of Christ, the Son of the living God, named and chosen by the Father, welcomed into the family of God, we are adopted into his family, and we get God's family name on us as well. But unless we let him name us, we will never find out who we really are. Unless, like Joseph, we, we find ourselves in his story, we will find ourselves lost. We'll be overtaken by the chaos without a larger story. Guys, this is what Advent does for us. What the coming of Jesus does for us. In the chaos of waiting, with all our questions, with so many loose ends like Joseph had, it, it gives us the perspective to live humbly and with trust. In, in our desire for and the expectation of waiting, we see ourselves in the great narrative of God. In speaking in a language that tells us that we are seen and loved and belong and God is still on the move, Advent declares we do not need to be afraid. You are seen, you are known, you are loved. That's what Advent declares to us. Let's pray. God, some of us this morning, not in spite of the season, but actually because of this season, might, might be experiencing fear. We might be tired. Some of us might feel the hurt of loneliness. I pray that you would remind us of the truth of Advent, that, that chaos and fear will not have the final word. That darkness will not have the final word. That the light that shone in darkness will not be snuffed out. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have confidence that darkness is on its way out. God, may we have the humility and the mercy of Joseph. May we live with expectancy and an excitement that you are on the move even when we can't see it. And may we be reminded that we need not live in fear. You have given us a new name, built on the name of Jesus, who was and is and is to come. And Jesus, we thank you.
We thank you for stepping into our story, for giving us an identity we could never create for ourselves, and for writing us into your greater, more beautiful story. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.